0: Welcome to Radioactive Magazine. We will be speaking with Eva Lee uh, about modeling COVID and assessing the effects of misinformation about epidemics. Lee is a director for the Center for Operations Research in Medicine and Healthcare at, and at the Data and Analytics Innovation Institute. And, and she's also a subject matter expert for medical and public health information enterprises. She has been a special advisor to Homeland Security and a collaborator with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta on defenses against pandemic and biological weapons. She holds a PhD in computational and applied mathematics from Rice University. Um, Eva, what's the most important thing you want our audience to understand about COVID?
1: Well, thanks for um, your invitation. So I think COVID, we all know that it's not like influenza. It can cause permanent damage to various organs in the body, including the brain, heart, and lung, and kidney. And even among the asymptomatic cases, I think that's really most important to know. And that early intervention or protection is most effective. And not only do we think about like COVID, it really redefined what it means by vaccination. It's no longer protecting us from infection, rather, it is really protecting us from serious symptoms when we are infected right so and unfortunately because of that it has left a large group of infected uh, long COVID patients especially among the 25 to 44 years old in age and so I think there will be long-term chronic disease patients that required really medical care and I think that's the part that I think everybody understand it now but it is difficult for people to Realize that or anticipate that at the very beginning of the pandemic, like in in the first year.
0: Wow! So you did a, a bunch of modeling to um, to help reach. Uh, excuse me. You did a bunch of modeling to help reach these conclusions, right?
1: Yes, I think some of these clearly uh, we saw lots of evidence in the clinical setting. And we also realized that just like SARS-1 is that it is airborne, the the, the uh, virus and and that protection, it's uh, really the earliest form of protection of face masks, social distancing is a mess. And, and so all of those, yes, is part of the modeling as we um, like really monitor the pandemic through Asia and to Europe, to us, the United States. Yeah.
0: So... SARS, what's
1: SARS? SARS is the Severe Acute Respiratory Symptom Coronavirus. And that's SARS-1 really started like in the, the first wave is 2002. And uh, it has really inflicted about um Eight thousand individuals, and so the scope is a lot smaller in terms of like what it is, and spread over about twenty nine countries, like precisely only eight thousand four hundred thirty eight uh, people infected, and about eight hundred and twelve deaths. And so, if we look at that compared to SARS, like we have now, is what is called SARS two is um over two hundred countries around the world were infected and truly even within just United States there there were about over like one point one million people that um, related to that. So you could see a really different in terms of the uh the impact that it has on the society and in the whole in worldwide as a whole.
0: So what was the uh- What's the big differences?
1: Well, I think one of the biggest difference is really transmission. SARS-1 transmitted really rather slowly to only 29 countries. And uh, although it is airborne, it can be infected, like even if you touch surface with the virus. But nonetheless, it is not as uh, contagious. And also the um, incubation period is longer. The symptoms usually started like um, two weeks afterwards. And um, we don't know if it is really asymptomatic cases where it could be, it is infectious or not. So that's a, a big part of it. But with SARS-2, our current uh, COVID, uh, the, the virus that uh, caused the COVID-19 disease is really um, infectious. Like the incubation period could be as short as just one day and that individuals could be infectious right away, even during incubation, and that they could also be infectious even after they recover. So it is highly infectious and mortality is almost similar to SARS-1 and with high um, death among the uh, elderly and also those with uh, coexisting conditions. So I think, I think the big part is really the transmissibility. That's a huge difference. And also because of that, the evolution of the viruses is also more um, sustained and that we are seeing it um, really worldwide.
0: Yeah, there's, from my study, there's something called the basic reproduction number. That's like Mm -hmm. transmissibility. Is that the same thing?
1: Yes, yes, it is. But it's also... um, Yes, I think you could you could say like they they are um, the basic reproduction number provides us with information about how how rapidly transmit. Yes,
0: right. Uh, To be precise, I think the basic they talk about the reproduction number and the basic reproduction number is in a naive population and uh, they they, so uh, if you have people are vaccinated. So did I hear correctly that people who are vaccinated may actually get the same disease at the same rate as other people but but they don't but they don't get the symptoms uh,
1: not really well okay first of all like um, we would expect that for people that get the vaccines the infection rate may be reduced by about 50% but mm-hmm. but we know that we cannot uh, confirm right some studies say that this is what we are seeing But we cannot confirm it because we don't really test everyone that have been vaccinated and and to to know if they are infected or not. That's the first part. Second, regarding asymptomatic cases, it's not clear. So some studies show that, yes, indeed, the asymptomatic cases um, is supposed to be like if if you're vaccinated you will you don't have symptoms and you have milder thing. But it doesn't seem like in the clinical setting that is not what we are seeing either. People do have symptoms. It's just that a little bit milder. And again, asymptomatic cases is that it's really hard to discover those cases unless we are testing everybody. And those only happens is if people are traveling and that they are required Requirement for testing, and then we discover that well, yeah, these people are tested positive, even though they have no symptoms. So a lot of the asymptomatic cases are escaped. We, we we do not have a good documentation on those.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting. Well, I mean, I know I was talking with someone just just before we came on the air that that were that mentioned somebody else who were tested routinely at the place where they work, uh, and but yes. you're saying collecting data from that is quite not quite enough
1: no yeah I mean because if you don't have to be like if you are not asked to test very few people would just go in and test right it's not like they're going to test every day but it's interesting like in countries like Iron Iceland Iceland is, is, is an interesting place is that I have colleagues that live there they are tested like eight times a day in fact every single event they, they go they will be tested so because of that, they are being tested and and yes, they record lots of asymptomatic cases and um but the vaccine does protect because they they see a large um reduction in the uh infection after they got a very high compliance in a vaccination in the population
0: that's great, so um Listeners who are interested uh, in this topic can find links to uh, documents uh, that uh, recommended by um, by uh, Dr. Uh, Professor Eva Lee uh, and uh, that are described in the ep- in, in this in the description of this episode of Radioactive Magazine at kkfi.org. You can click new uh, click News and Public Affairs, then Radioactive Magazine. Um, so you provided several several references. Would you like to summarize um, some of those um, for our listeners, Eva?
1: Well, some of the modeling that I have included papers that basically modeling the virus itself, as well as the human behavior, and also what are the interventions that are being uh, put out. And I think that's an interesting um concept for like listeners to know because a lot of times we may see models that like modeling the virus and how it infects but we all know that uh, infection is not like one size fits all if you are in a really closed room with thousands of people like in a concert and everything versus if you are like in an open area with thousands of people but scattered far away from each other so the infection itself will be different so the model itself really put together these um, linkage of the human behavior the environment and the cultural along with how the virus spread and also the actions that is taken like interventions like face masks social distancing or if there is enough resource healthcare resources in that particular area. So we model it all together. And I think it's great to understand that because it provides some actions that individuals could do to protect themselves. So that's one of them. And the other one is really about vaccine and what the strategies should be. And I think it is very interesting to know also is that who should get the vaccine first and how do you really um, dispense them across the nation when you don't have enough vaccine? And also like the 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 most interesting thing is if you look at some of the figures that you know that the vaccines are not foolproof. So you might get uh, the vaccine, but you're not protected. You can still be infected. And how do you actually protect yourself? And, and the key is really, it's not um, vaccination is all that matters. It is really a layering approach in terms of emergency response and public health is that you want to have like layers in terms of like face mask, social distancing, you have vaccination. This is early form of um, like protection, right? Then as you get it, then testing so that you actually monitor yourself to make sure that you don't get into um, like if you get infected, you know, the early action and what needs to be done, or then you can access to antiviral, and, and all of those, and basically, it's really a multi-layer protection approach for public health, and I think I would love uh, to have the listeners like, really review some of those and get themselves really um, some knowledge about how to protect themselves.
0: Yeah, well, so talk to us about the quality of tests. I know I'm a statistician. I know that, e- that, that every test has false positives and false false negatives. Tell us about that. <laughs>
1: Well, yes, I think it's, I mean, first of all, the test itself is really quite accurate, you know, in terms of like, if we collect the data and right there in the lab, we do the test right away. And so I would say the test is really, very accurate. But the problem is that we don't, um, like we don't have the same viral count as you just get infected. For example, I am exposed to an individual, for example, at an event tonight. Um, I get exposed to the uh, virus and you would expect that it's incubation and then I will soon have the symptoms, right? Assuming that's the case. But the viral count could be so low that even if I'm going to do the test, it is not positive, okay? And it will still not be positive even if I start having symptoms, day one, day two, day three, day four, because the most sensitive time is after day four, day five to day 11, has the largest uh, viral count. And then afterwards, it riddles off also. So I think that's really the, the gist of, like, testing. It's really difficult to get it right because you may not get enough viral count. And then even if it is negative, it is not because the test is wrong. It simply is that it's not sensitive enough to show that it is positive. So I think, like... I mean, to some extent, I think testing is good. And and that also reinforced that this is not new. Because if you recall, like, I think in one of the cases, I think the most beautiful one that has the clear evidence is Diamond Princess 2020. Um, The the Diamond Princess, the cruise. So the case was discovered on January 31st, 2020. And this is by an individual that already got off the boat, got off the cruise on January twenty sixth. So see what is happening, right? Five days delay. This individual had no symptoms. He finally was um like tested positive because he started having symptoms. And and so you would you will you not like he's not hiding anything, right? Nobody knew what is going on. Even if there were test at that time, enough testing hits, you still would not know. And the result of this one asymptomatic case was over eight hundred positive cases for the crews, not counting the fourteen hundred of the crew members, right so you can see you can see the um the implication of the um like how widespread it could be even from one asymptomatic case
0: yeah, now there are, <clears throat> but there's more than but there's more than one test, right I mean there are, I remember. Uh, at least once. Once you could opt to get a test that you'd get the answer two days later, and another one you would get the uh, others. You'll get the answers, you know, and and uh, half an hour or something, right?
1: Yes, I think the. I mean, I maintain that the PCR is still the the most accurate one. And PCR. And I mean, the, mm-hmm, yeah. What's PCR? Real time. I mean, to some extent, they are real time. And uh, now, of course, for those that we are doing it on our own, the self-administered one, I think it's great to have those so that you can actually take the test at your own convenience and be able to submit it. But although Sometimes individuals may not know how to do that uh, properly, and they may not be able to put it, insert it deeper into the nasal cavity. And so, again, the test may be negative, but yet it may not reflect the um, current situation of the individual.
0: We are talking with um, Eva Lee about modeling COVID and assessing the Effects of misinformation about epidemics. So, talk talk to us about the effects of misinformation.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's um, it's a little bit difficult at at the early stage in terms of what to believe in, and because so little knowledge was um, you know was known right at the at the beginning of the pandemic. So, I think that there, there were um, wrong information about COVID. is just like flu and which we know it is not. And there is also wrong information about, we don't mask, face mask does not work. And that, uh, well, unless you do, you prove it otherwise. So I think all of those information, like to some extent is kind of interesting because um, I'm sure all the audience will think about that. Like face mask is what the doctors use in the hospital, right? When they deal with very sick patients and they use gloves, they use face masks and everything. To make sure that they don't get uh, infected uh, or or have any of these uh, transmissible disease that that they will actually get infected. So we know face masks work, and so public audit. I mean, like public citizens should understand that that is at the minimum to protect themselves. So I think those information are really uh, unfortunate in terms of like putting it out because it is just a layer of protection that we need before we have any. Any treatment or anything. There's also the idea, like um, thinking about, well, we don't. If we have the vaccine, then we can go out and we we don't need any protection once we get the vaccine. So we also know that the vaccines may work, like really only seventy percent of time. And after the first dose, it may provide only 29% of the protection, right? It's not sufficient yet. So all of those information, I think it's it's because there's so much information pouring out, it's very difficult for citizens to know what to do. And and I think that's, and we lack the really a unified um, theme from leaders to say, this is what we know, and this is what we have to do like uh, really out of uh, abundance of cautions, right? Precautions of like protection. So I think that's, then Then in terms of treatment, I think it is really difficult to, to get everything correct because like we understand monoclonal antibodies work really well, but then uh, it didn't work anymore when uh, Omicron arrived. So I think a lot of these science are changing, not because it is incorrect. It is because the virus has changed and so to some extent the medicine no longer works because it is tailored it was tailored to the earlier variant so i think that provide uh that type of like rapid changes in the um knowledge really also create confusion so so i think that coupled with all those and anti-vaccines we understand there are people that do not believe in uh, vaccines and uh, that was Long before Covid started, so it's just that it provides a platform for some of those uh, individuals to basically make more noise and and um, influence the public.
0: right. So there's a <clears throat> substantial body of literature that that basically is saying that the the major media, especially Zuckerberg and uh, social media but but the 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 commercial broadcasters in the u s. Since the '80s, especially, have been uh, making money by uh, polarizing the body politics so that they could be more easily exploited. You want mm. to comment on that?
1: Yeah, I think I think absolutely. It's it's really. I mean, there has always been um, you know commercialization of concepts, right? We we know that, especially now. You look at Facebook and social media, is that like maybe the platform is free for you to use, but clearly they are going after profit and what they go is is they they provide a platform for commercialization and with that basically they endorse some of those um like beliefs and concepts and i think it is unfortunate like with social media now instead of looking at news and what news reporters are going to really report they are really going to look at headlines that are advertised or pushed out by influencers, right, on those social medias. So I think it really cut down one level of just a a normal, like, regular thinking about should I believe in this news or not? And now it's just somebody else like kind of like false feed, right, on individuals, except it's not false. It's it's just that it is like you naturally accept it because that is part of your social networks, even though you really have no idea who these individuals are or or what these organizations are doing.
0: Oh, oh yeah. I I mean, regarding this is slightly changing the subject, but not really. It's the uh, regarding the um, news about the 2020 election has come out just in the past few days that, uh, Rupert Murdoch and others with Fox um, were had a major problem right after the 2020 election because they realized if they were, that they if they honestly reported what they understood and believed about the 2020 election, they were losing money. So they couldn't afford to lose money. So they started hyping uh, the uh, the fraud about uh, Dominion voting systems. Um, Talk, talk to us about the, the relative effectiveness of face masks versus, uh, versus uh, vaccines.
1: I mean, I think face masks really is our first line of defense, as I say, if you ask any doctors that deal with uh, very sick patients or dealing with ED patients, they do wear face masks and and they protect themselves with the understanding that it is possible whoever that come into the hospital may be infected with certain type of illnesses that could be transmissible to the caretaker, right? So we know face masks work. 1918, Spanish flu in some sense was exactly the same what happened. We had no diagnostic test. We have no definitive treatment. We have no vaccine. What did people do? They wear face masks, right? They want face masks, they make face masks. And in fact, massively um, all the housewives are producing face masks because understanding that manufacturing industry did not have enough capability to produce so many face masks. So we are repeating the same thing. So now vaccines, of course, work to some extent, but with the understanding that first vaccine was not available in the first year, right? I mean, so either you're going to wait for the vaccines or you're going to take some actions to protect yourselves, right? I mean, nobody is going to say, okay, I'm going to just sit here and and make sure and and think that i'm so strong that no virus is going to attack me so that that is a totally different setting to think about so i i do believe the first line of defense of wearing face mask during the um the peak of the pandemic like in 2020 is a must and now when vaccine started to roll out i think it is great that the um the people that are like that have coexisting conditions and the elderly uh, at the front line to receive it because we understand the um, coronavirus. You know the mortality rate is like 20% among elderly. So I think those prioritization is great and we accept that. It. Now, it's difficult to force people to take the vaccine. I understand mandates like of vaccination is is a difficult choice for people. But on the other hand, for those individuals that are really uh, immunocompromised and have, those have high risk, I really think that they should understand that vaccine protect them. I yeah.
0: mean, I don't
1: think that they should be the one that resisted. And uh, I think that's all, like like it's choices versus like what people want to do. And at some point at the moment, like we got a mix of people that are infected. We got people that have vac- vaccinated. I mean, we got a pretty good mix of people. So the, the, the um, infection has calmed down. And, and that's great. But if you talk to somebody that is immune compromised or the elderly, I know so many of them recently just get infection. I mean they are still fighting, right? And and so yeah. we have to respect that. And and we have to respect that individuals wearing face masks and we shouldn't look at them like, Oh, what is happening? or they are they are, they don't represent us or anything. I think we we need to have right. individual Voices,
0: and we have to respect others. So, so talk about government policies that, that I mean, I heard that the George W. Bush administration adopted some policies to improve monitoring, so that we could have better manage this a, a problem like this. And those, uh, and uh, what the, some procedures that. Um, President George W. Bush put in place were canceled by uh, President Trump and maybe not, have not been reinstated yet.
1: Yeah, I think it is an interesting part about the the policy among different, um, like you know, different leaders. But yes, I think President Bush indeed um, really has the foresight. To that extent, is that really when he read the the book by um let me let me make sure that it's the 2004 book by john berry on the great Influenza. he was so really um affected or impressed by it that understanding that um pandemic really come around every 100 years and he really he demanded to have a national strategy for that and basically that's the pandemic playbook how to really um stockpile how to really protect different individuals and that it is a layering approach i was very lucky to uh, to be involved in in it with some of the leaders and it was a very comprehensive um, systems approach and that um to some extent because he declared that the pandemic you know it's really would happen uh, every 100 years right to that extent even that timeline was so accurate so then the his plan was further expanded by President Obama, and that uh, in 2009, uh, there was a modeling system, like a modeling group that was established called the PREDICT. It's a program that is established to identify and combat viruses with the capability to generate global pandemics. So that program really lasted from 2009 to 2019, and really working in uh, looking at like nearly 1,000 new viruses, and and so I think it is is like it's really really useful I think and it's really important because it is not just working within the United States but across the globe working with uh, building collaborations with many other countries. As we know, any of this spill over of like from the animal virus to human. May not happen in the United States, but it is there. Are many different parts of the world will have those, um, like places where it is a, a really a mixed pot that that uh, human and also animals are mixed together, and that uh, such spillover could be very conducive. And so we need to be involved in it, and we need to collaborate. But unfortunately, that program was um, really eliminated just um, shortly before the covid pandemic. Yep. So I think like we that was an unfortunate part we but, have we have as we, understand-
0: we only have uh 15 seconds five uh, final words for our audience.
1: Well, I guess I I I think um as I mentioned early early intervention is important and I think uh individuals should be like should try to protect themselves and also protect others and if they have any symptoms, um, whether it's a flu or anything, then I think they should wear face masks. They should um, yeah. make okay, sure that
0: I, they show, show. Uh, and- I need to interrupt. We've been talking with Eva Lee about modeling COVID and assessing the effects of misinformation about pandemics. Uh, more on that can be found in the description of this episode of uh, Radioactive Magazine. Go to kkfi.org, kt- then News and Public Affairs, then Radioactive Magazine.